0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter two. Uh, we're going to be going through four messages uh, on during our Advent series. Uh, the first is going to be this one titled "Waiting." Uh, we're going to, I think, next week's title is "Watching." Then it's going to be "Worshiping" and then "Witnessing." So those will be kind of the four message messages that we have. Um, so last week I mentioned that I had somehow lost my preaching Bible. And um, so uh, I was going to tell you, Mason, thanks for asking. Um, I went home, and and so one, thank you for no one walking off with it. Um, I know that I kind of said some things around church life tend to grow legs. Uh, My Bible did grow legs. So the legs that it grew were my own legs. So this Bible has probably not, not left this building, no joke, in three years. And yet last or two weeks ago when I went to San Antonio or whenever, however long that was, I think I walked out thinking of going out of town and all these things. I didn't want to leave it on the counter evidently because I knew I wasn't going to be coming back on Monday, coming through to pick it up and put it in because that's one of the habits I have. And so I evidently I took it home and I found it on my nightstand underneath the like the thick manual for all of the week at San Antonio. So thanks for praying. Uh, you can laugh at me. Um, I, I'm sorry if I falsely accused anyone in here of taking my Bible. Uh, I repent publicly of accusing you, maybe. I don't really think I did that, but if I did and you felt the pe- the pressure, that wasn't my intent. I'm guilty. I'm the guilty one. So, um, So, Luke chapter 2, here's what I want to begin the message, looking back to something I mentioned last week about the Incarnation. If you remember, we looked at Genesis 3.15, which is uh, the passage where the Lord speaks to the serpent, and then after speaking to the serpent, he speaks to Adam and Eve, Um, and uh, more particularly Eve. But when he speaks to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, he tells the serpent, uh, he curses him first and then tells uh, him that the, he is going to be able to bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, and the seed of the woman is going to crush his head. That is known as what? Does anybody know? You don't have to give me the Greek. Katie's like, I know the Greek. I know the Greeks. He's heard me talk about it for years. Um, does anyone know what that's called? Say it really loud. Okay. I, I, if, if you want the Greek, it's the Proto-Evangelion. But the, it means simply this, the first gospel. It's the first gospel because in that passage in Genesis 3.15, it's the promotion of this idea of this Messiah, the seed of the woman who is going to set mankind free from the curse of sin that Adam and Eve entered into when they fell in the garden. So that first gospel sets humanity out upon this idea that we're talking about this morning, the waiting of the promised Messiah. Uh, As I thought about that, it's, it's an idea that I, I began to think, how many other people throughout Scripture, and I'm going to list everyone, but how many people spent time waiting for something, uh, whether it was a promise that the Lord made or something else to come about in their lives that the Lord gave them? Okay, so I'm going to begin. The first one I really thought about was Noah, how Noah was told that there would be a flood and he had to wait for the, the rain waters to come as he's building this boat. And that was, that waiting actually made people like, they were like, we don't understand what you're doing. And it put him under great scrutiny and he was mocked for what he was doing. Um, I thought about Abraham. What did Abraham wait for? The Messiah, the promised seed that would come from his, his child. He also did what? He also waited for his own offspring, right? Because for how, he was how many years old? Over 100 years old when Sarah finally bore a child to him. And that, that was a promise that his seed would come through Sarah. So he was waiting and waiting and waiting to the point that Sarah even got frustrated herself, thinking, how could this be? And, and so when the, the promise came, she laughed about that. Um, we also have uh, Jacob. How did, how did Jacob wait? you remember? For a wife, he worked. For, for one wife, for the first or the second wife, actually, right? So he, but he had to work for seven years to earn his father in law's uh, blessing upon his, his marriage with Rachel. Um, then we also have David. David was given the promise of a Messiah, a king who would sit upon the throne for eternity. So, so we see all of these places. And you can probably think of others. But these are just ones that, that just came to me really quickly. But how many people throughout Scripture waited for some kind of promise to be, be fulfilled? And so when we come to the New Testament, we see another person waiting. that's what I want us to look at this morning is the person of Simeon. So let's read Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 32. So here we go. And when the time came for the purification... According to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Let me, let me stop right there and let us set the context just to make sure we get this. Remember, Jesus has been born. And so the hymn that, that Luke is speaking of here is Jesus. And it's, it's been those uh, days that are according to the rituals for him to be presented to the temple, to be uh, in the temple, to be circumcised and to go through these ritual things, okay? So he's gone up there. His, uh, Mary and Joseph are taking him to Jerusalem do this in the temple. So here in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death. to your people, Israel. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the person of Simeon, and we're going to be looking at what specifically he was waiting for about the person of Jesus. Now, there's five things. If you look back in verses 25 and 26, there's five interesting things that we know about Simeon. We don't have a lot of information about him, but I think these five things are worth us noting first. In verse 25, it says that he was a righteous man. That would be the first one, so righteous, and that he was devout. And then it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So there's the fourth. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Christ, the Lord's Christ. So those five things really set Simeon apart in his character and, and what he is uh, hoping to, to see and is the promise of fulfillment. Now, I want to um, recognize a couple things. When we think about this, Idea of Simeon waiting. Um, I, d- I don't know about you, but have have you ever been like waiting in like left waiting in your life at some point? So some of you have. Okay, I'm a, I'm gonna tell on my mom. My mom was back. You know, I was in high school. Well, middle it was it wasn't called middle school then. It was junior high and high school. So 1981 through 1987. That's when I was uh, in my years of junior high and high school. And so during that season, um, though the latter part of the, the years I, could start, I started driving, I got in trouble and had my car keys taken away, um, so I had to have my parents pick my, myself and my brothers up from school. And my mom was very busy, um, some might say a little bit scatterbrained, um, and so we were typically left waiting at, at the end of the day Uh, for my mom to come by and get us because there was no buses where we lived to to get us home. So we literally just waited on mom. So I can't tell you how many ties that I, like neckties that I ruined popping because we get so bored and we would pop them like towels and have fights with the the neckties. Um, But we waited. Now, why did we wait? Why wouldn't we not like start walking home? One, it was 30 minute car ride. So there was no way we could walk home. So we always waited with what? an anticipation that mom would pick us up. you have to remember, too, some of you will understand this. This was before the days of cell phones. So you didn't have this, like, quick means to go, hey, mom, where are you? We had to just wait and trust that at some point she was going to show up. And that's what, I mean, most of you have waited and have some kind of experience like that. But waiting is about this. It's about a longing to be fulfilled, isn't it? We don't just wait kind of going, well, what's going to happen? That, that's not really what mean, waiting means. Waiting has this idea that there's an object that we're waiting for. And when we're waiting for that object, we have to exercise what? Some level of trust and some level of faith. And so when you, you think about all of these characters in Scripture that have been waiting for the promised Messiah, there is an aspect to them of trust and faith are at the core of, of what they're doing. Now, Simeon, he has, to me, one of the most unusual uh, aspects or, or, or perspectives about waiting of many of the characters that we've mentioned or many other characters in Scripture. Partially because of his character and makeup, because he's righteous and devout, that, that aspect of who he is in his relationship with the Lord has led him into an, a unique Uh, period of waiting because not only is it about his character but he's also had some special information delivered him to him by the Holy Spirit that he is going to see the Lord's Christ and so what an incredible position he is placing could you imagine like having that promise before you it it would very much be like he goes into the temple every day is today the day is today the day it's the day to day. I can't imagine like maybe living with that, even though I kind of can because every day at school is like, when's mom showing up? When's mom showing up? But every day, is this the day the Lord's Christ will be revealed to me? Every day. And, and then it happens. So he, th- this is what is so incredible to me though. And when we think about the, the promises that Simeon has given, this promise is about him looking like others before him but it's all fulfilled in what not just the promise and the facts this is key it's filled in the person of Jesus so when we come to this Christmas season there's a lot of things that we can think about and I think part of my own like struggle about Christmas celebration is this I can long for the day where we say hey we're celebrating Jesus but I forget to long for the person of Jesus. Does that make sense? That, that I can get caught up in a lot of the trappings and all the elements that go with it, but in, in truth, I don't really focus in on Christ himself. And I think that's one of the spectacular things that Simeon models for us, is that it is, his waiting is For Jesus, the person of Jesus and nothing else. Even though it's the fulfillment of the promise, but the fulfillment comes through the person of Jesus. And so I think that's what we we get from this phrase that he is waiting in in one of these five qualities, that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, I don't know about you, but I I was like, okay, that's a great phrase. I know a little bit about this, but I want to be reminded about what the consolation of Israel is really about. So if you have a... um, a ribbon or marker put that in your bible in Luke 2 and then i want you to turn over to Isaiah chapter 25 with me Isaiah 25 is a really interesting passage because when we think about consolation what what is the root word of consolation it's the word console right that that it offers some kind of healing and hope in the midst of struggle and, and so the consolation of Israel uh, when Simeon's waiting on that consolation, he's waiting for something where there's a, a dissatisfaction or there's a great need to be revealed to him so that, that h- there is hope restored. So let's look at Isaiah 25, verses 8 and 9. It says this, um, he will swallow up death forever. Now, let me, let me pause and, and qualify this real quickly. As we read through these two verses, I want you to hear like what needs consolation, those elements in this passage that that would would require healing and hope to be restored, okay? So so why I'm reminded of that is the idea, uh, that of death, okay? So we'll see some more in here. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people, he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on the day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Do you, do you hear that concept, like the contrast where consolation is needed because there's death, there's tears, there is this aspect where uh, the, the people have this uh, reproach upon them because they're faithful to their God. And because of the arrival of who? It's the Savior. Salvation will come. And those things will be removed from them. Death will be no more. Grief and sorrow will be removed. The reproach will be taken away. Instead, they will have a great testimony because the Savior will bless them and and call them His people. What an incredible picture. And that's what Simeon is waiting on. Those things to be uh, brought in by the Savior to transform life. Isn't that an incredible picture? I think we can lose that often when we don't wait in the right way for the right person. Does that make sense? And so that's where Simeon is such a great example to us of of this idea of what the consolation uh, of Israel is about. So why is this consolation necessary? That was a a question that, that rattled in my mind, and I think it's clear. Because these are the elements, these things like grief and death and reproach, they're still present today. As followers of Christ, as people in need of salvation, even follower, uh, people who are not followers of Christ, those elements are there, and we need Christ to save us from those things and the, the, uh, the result of what they produce in us when we don't have Him. And that, the result of that is what? It's sin. So I was thinking about this. What are the elements that Christ brings to overcome those things as the consolation? So I want to give you a couple things. Look over in Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your uh, Bibles, take it over there to the New Testament again. Ephesians chapter 1. I'll give you a second to get there. And I'm going to read a little bit of text here. Starting in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Now, I'm going to nutshell some things really quickly out of that passage that help us recognize the elements about Christ that, that provide consolation. It's, it's this, that in and through Jesus Christ and Him alone, according to the Heavenly Father's purpose, in the perfect ful- fullness of time, Christ came to fulfill all of the covenant promises that were made in the Old Testament. And so through him, we have what? A relationship because he has forgiven us all of our trespasses. And then through the work of the Holy Spirit, when we believe, we are sealed, guaranteed, okay, until the, the, we are glorified in heaven. So all of these elements about Christ work together to bring us peace when we were alienated from God because of our sin and our trespasses. That's our consolation. That's what we what we are waiting for, is Him to work these things out for our good. Why do we need that? I would just remind you this. Romans 23, uh, 3, 23 and 24 says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that we, uh, through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, we can receive him by faith. So the consolation is that, that, that Jesus brings to us to make sinners right. Boy, I, I just want to say this again. This Christmas season, especially as we're approaching the, the the end of the year as we're celebrating Christ's birth, I would hope that we elevate that peace and that consolation that we get from Christ. I uh, started thinking about this, and, and I want to read a little bit of this. Um, this is all, and I think this is what Ephesians 1 points to me so carefully about. I think this is also like where I go, okay, the, the Doctrine of God series that we've just been in where we've looked at the Trinity so carefully and then you see the three members of the Trinity Uh, working together so well in Ephesians 1 for our salvation, this is like a key passage to me where we learn that the attributes of God and His character are as a sweet water to the soul of the believer. Now, why do I say it that way? Because I think so many times we can look at the work of Christ in salvation and we can elevate His work, but we forget to elevate His character according to his attributes. And so when we think about the consolation of Israel, it's not just the work, it's the person of Christ who we're waiting for. And as we consider who Christ is, and we consider who, what we've looked at w- with the attributes of God and all that we've looked at in the doctrine of God, we need to understand that those attributes about who Christ is are what makes it sweet to our soul, about his person. And we come and we relate to Christ as we're waiting for him to bring us the peace. So they, these attributes do this. They declare the love of God to us. They declare His power and His authority to us. They declare His mercy, to us they remind us that he is good all of the time they tell us that yes in all of those things he is also just and was why sin must be discipline and why Christ had to stand in our place and bear our guilt and shame because these are the attributes that reveal God's character he is also a god of providence so he's working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose those things about the person and character of God that are reflected in each member of the godhead and particularly as we think about the con- Jesus being the consolation of Israel, that's who we are to worship. That's who we to draw near to and understand uh, and pursue that relationship with Him. So, I uh, was thinking about this. So, so in light of the attributes of God, then how does He work? Well, He works through His covenant faithfulness. Isn't that, that good news? So when we think about all those people that I listed earlier, and the many more that we could list throughout the Old Testament that were longing for the promises to be filled, it, what we see, because Jesus has come just as God foretold, the promises of God are faithful and true, and we can trust Him in all things. I, I love this. Spurgeon says this, and I think it's, it's a good reminder to us. He says, Consolatory promises are scattered all over the sacred page. That would be the scriptures. Thick as stars in the firmament. Um, Evan, have you ever, I'm, I'm sure you, 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 you hate when I do this, don't you? I like to do it just because it drives you crazy. It's, it takes a little bit of pressure off of Katie and Juliana, so thanks. They'll thank you afterwards, okay? Um, no, in all reality, Evan lives out in Adams, um, at, off just off the property of Coldstream uh, Christian Camp, okay? Okay. Um, and so I like driving out to Coldstream at night. And I don't know if you've paid attention to this, but there's a wonderful thing about the drive between Springfield. Is just, I go down Kenny's School Road. Is that how you go? Kenny's Road, yeah, okay. So Kenny's Road. Um, Kenny's School is the other one that's a little smaller. So Kenny's Road, okay? But about the time you go down through that little hollow, there's a little bottom there, and you come up, the light noise of Springfield starts to dissipate. And then you kind of get up on this plane, um, this plateau, and it kind of runs all the way to the camp. And what happens as you're driving at night in that area? C- can you tell me? Because the light noise is gone, you start to see the stars in the ferment more clearly. Do you do you think about that when you drive out there? Yeah, okay, thanks. I'm not crazy. Does Shelby live? It? Evan doesn't. Shelby does. Okay. What did you say, Evan? You're lost now. That's Okay. <laughs> You can still get home, though, right? Okay. (laughs) See me afterwards. (laughs) Okay. How many, like, I remember going out into Texas when I was 16 and the same kind of thing, getting away from the the light noise of big cities, okay, and and looking up at the firmament of the heavens and, and thinking the stars are too numerous to count. I can sit on my back deck. And I can see certain constellations, and I can see certain stars in Greenbrier, but the, the limit of that because of the, the light pollution and the light noise is, is so severe that I, I can't see much. Now, let me go back to Spurgeon's statement and read this with that in mind. He says, The consolatory promises are scattered all over the sacred page, thick as stars in the firmament. I don't know about you, but I need those consolatory promises. I need them to be thick because I know by my own sin, I create my own grief and distance from the Lord. I know by the circumstances of life as I watch them in in our culture, as the the world seems to be moving at a more rapid pace further and further from godly things and the truth of Scripture and the hope of the Gospel, I, I need the consolatory promises that are rooted in the person of Christ. That is my only hope. It's not, it's not us. Now, now, as we work together to encourage one another in those promises, that's certainly where the body of Christ comes into play, and I do need you in that. But if we aren't elevating the consolation that Christ brings, we're missing the best that we can afford to one another. And, and, and so as we think about what it means to wait on Christ it means that we trust in the promises of God that reveal him. And that we turn to Jesus and we elevate Jesus as the all the hope, the only true hope that we have, because that's what he that's what he is. Um so I want to read John fourteen, a couple of verses there. So if you'll turn with me to John fourteen. Verses 15, I'm sorry, verses 25 through 27. I love this passage. As I, I've come out of this idea of the consolatory promises, listen to how this is revealed, okay, by, about the Word. But the Word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause, but when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You you hear how Jesus says that the promises are about him, that the Holy Spirit whom the Father sends will bear witness about him. Jesus is the center of all Scripture. He's the center of the gospel. He's the center of our hope. And it's not just the promises themselves, but it's the promises that point to Jesus that satisfy us. The one who satisfies is Jesus himself. So when I think about this, and I want to um, give you this uh, idea. Well, let, let me actually go back to verse. Uh, actually, let's, let's move forward. So let's go back to, to Luke chapter 2. Let's look back and see in verses 29 through 32. Let's read this. And I want you to to notice this as we read it. Simeon was not waiting for the results of the feeling of consolation. He was waiting for Jesus himself. Look Look at it again in this passage, verse 29. Lord, now, are you, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He gets the result according to your word. But here's what he gets, how he gets it, and why he gets it. Verse 30, For my eyes have what? Seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Who, Jesus, who Simeon was waiting for was Jesus. It's just Jesus. Folks, I think we can get so lost so many times, and and maybe I'm guilty of this more than most of you in here, but I think I can get lost looking at the doctrine and the truth instead of remembering that all of that is really about Jesus. And the hope that we have, the hope that the Gentile has and the hope that the Jew has, the hope that all mankind has is not just the truth, it's Jesus because Jesus is the foundation of the truth. And we know that because the promises were made are fulfilled in and by him. So let's go to Isaiah 9. We're going to finish right here, and I'm going to give you some wrap-up thoughts. Isaiah 9. I'm Bible drilling right along with you. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. says this, but there will be no gloom. Now, there's that idea of of what we need consoling for, gloom. For for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, pointing to Jesus right there. Now, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness Have what? Seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. How? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, as I read that passage, most of us are really familiar with that passage out of Isaiah 9 and the promise of the Messiah, the one who would come to be born but, but honestly, as I was even reading that this morning, this, this pops into my head and out of verse 6. It says, um, actually out of verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. Folks, one of the things immediately that jumped in my mind as I read that is that is not the description of what we would understand from our culture and context in, in this temporal world. We, we see a great, tension we, we we're longing for a different kind of peace we're longing for a different kind of government to settle all of the chaos and and, and warring that's that's happening right now and that passage doesn't seem to to show like to, to line up with what's happening but what do we have to remember the, the kingdom of Christ is not an earthly kingdom it, it, it's a heavenly kingdom it's a spiritual kingdom and it will eventually overrule this temporal world but we're waiting on his what return again and and with hope we know because Christ has fulfilled all the promises once he will do what he will fulfill the rest that remain undone right because he is a faithful sure savior whom we can trust And so when we think about where we are in our world today, the only consolation for us is still, it remains who? Jesus. It remains Jesus. And he's a consolation for Jews and Gentiles alike. And we need to turn to Christ. And we need to long and look for him and wait for him with the hope that he is faithful. And if our belief and our faith is in Christ it will be sure. It will be fulfilled. And that is the hope that every one of us has today. So I want to ask you to respond and kind of think through this this week. How are you finding Jesus to be your comfort, your peace, your joy, and your light? Because if you look and you only have your eyes set on the things of the world, I can almost guarantee you that you're like, I, I'm struggling to find him to be those things. But if we will turn our attention to Jesus and look to him and understand how he's consistently fulfilled the promises of God, answered all of the prophecies in the first coming, and we know that he will answer him according to the second, we will find comfort. We will find peace. We will find joy. We won't walk in darkness any longer. Instead, we will be a testimony of Christ to those who need those same things. Can I like, share a really cool thing? To me, it's really cool. This year, and we're, we're getting ready to turn into 2024, but in 2023, we've been in some revitalization efforts. Most of y'all have been part of those at some level. In some way, every step that we've taken, the Lord has blessed us. I, and I want you to remember and identify those things. And it's not about money. Even though our finances have turned, money, we have to have resources, okay? But it's not about that. Really, the blessing is about looking at how our body life is changing because we're elevating Christ differently and being obedient to walk in relationship with him in a different way. So, so here's what's cool. Um, on December 17th, is, this, is it still going to happen? Okay, December 17th, uh, can I tell everybody now? Okay. Okay. Julie Taylor is going to be baptized, okay? So it's, and most of y'all will go, what, what? There's a cool testimony that we're going to share on that 17th at the brunch, okay? Um, Matt Kiter and I got to sit this week and he, he, uh, we sat for almost like two hours. It was such a joyous time to watch what the Lord's done in Matt's life over the last couple years. And Matt is like, I, I just I can't even like capture it. He's growing in his faith. He's growing in his understanding of the word, and he also has, has confessed Christ as a savior. So on January thirty first, after the service, this is most likely going to happen, and it's going to be kind of crazy, but we're still going to do it. Okay, we're going to head down to a Creek. Which way? I'm. Um, it's yeah. It's kind of back, just down here, not the old Creek where we've done it on the highway. Okay, because you can't hear because the cars are rolling by. How many of y'all know where Impact Baptist Church is down on, on the old 431? Okay, they're going to let us use their property. They've got a little creek, and they've got a little dam right there in the creek. So Matt's an outdoorsy kind of guy, and he said, I want to be baptized in the creek down there. So I'm asking this. It's going to be one. I don't have waiters. So I've, I've done worse. We, we talked Matt and I talked about it, but on, on December 31st, after the service we're going to go down to the creek and we're going to have a baptism for Matt, okay? And, and it's not about the creek, okay? Even though that's going to kind of be a neat little nuance. But but the the real testimony is what God's done in Matt's life, that he saved him and Matt's really maturing. And so he's talking about the next step of even church membership um, with, with that. Um, and, and it's those kind of things, like grow groups starting and those kind of things. What we're doing as a church body is in our revitalization, I think we've revitalized our focus on Christ. And, and I wouldn't have said that we were missing that value before, but I think we've dialed in a little differently. And in that dialing a little differently, the Lord is being, bringing blessing. And, and, and my challenge to us then is this. Where are we too often or too easily focusing the, on the temporal that, that we miss? the spiritual aspects of who Christ is for our comfort, our peace, our joy, our light. As we think about people coming to faith as a testimony of baptism, as they're walking in a newness of life, as we too as believers encourage one another about how we share Christ with one another, because the truth is, every day we still need to speak the truth of the gospel of grace into one another's lives to encourage us to be faithful. So, so here is this idea. I'm just going to read what I wrote. The biblical counsel for each of us is to turn to Christ. For all, in all reality, whether a believer or a skeptic, we are truly waiting for a relationship with Christ. Drop the mic <laughs> or the water bottle. <laughs> Was I bouncing the table that hard? Okay. Let me repeat this. The biblical counsel for each of us is to turn to Christ. For in all reality, whether a believer or skeptic, we're truly waiting for a relationship with Jesus. And I I say it that way because how many of us know skeptics? I think even as believers, we can enter seasons where we can be skeptical of these things. But if we will elevate the person of Jesus and we will wait upon Jesus like Simeon did with a hope for his person, with a longing and a looking to him as we do that with one another, as we do that with the skeptic, as Jesus is exalted, the word says, as Jesus is lifted up, what happens? All men will be drawn to him. We need to be people that wait for Jesus, the person of Jesus, so that all men will be drawn to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning I, I thank you for the example of Simeon. Lord, a, a man who certainly showed great character. That character wasn't just the result of his own person. Lord, that's a result of you working in him. And so Lord, what, what we're thankful for especially is that he modeled for us how to wait upon Jesus rightly with patience, with joy, with hope. Lord, Oftentimes today, we we don't wait well. At least maybe I don't. I get anxious, I get eager, I try to manufacture things to happen in a certain way instead of waiting with a hopeful sense of faith and trust that your promises will come true. That you will work in your own sovereign and providential timing to bring about those good things that you promised to all your people. So Father, this morning I pray that where any of us are, we would simply do this. We would look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we would encourage one another in that together so that we would be a testimony to to, uh, a lost and dying world that needs the consolation that is only found in Jesus. So, Father... That happens in a lot of practical ways. It happens in worship. It happens through Bible study. It happens through serving one another according to our gifts. It happens, uh, Lord, as we uh, just gather in certain ways for fellowship. There's so many practical things. Lord, I pray this, that you stir us. Stir us not to be easily satisfied, but to encourage the greatest uh, aspect and waiting for Christ that we can in one another so that you are glorified. So, Father, we look forward to continuing through this series on Advent as we wait to celebrate Jesus' birth on Christmas morning. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake, amen.